This morning, we are once again returning to our expository series in the book of Jonah, entitled Glimpse of God's Heart. And we said you get a bonus, not only in this book do we see God's heart, but we get a chance to see ours, particularly mirrored through the heart of our friend Jonah. And you know what? Jonah is a lot like me. And I get glimpses of sometimes things in my heart that are not what I would like to see as we look at Jonah. But we also see the great and loving heart of God. And today we're going to see that it is both a just heart, but a merciful heart as well. Our scripture reading today comes from Jonah chapter 3. Having come literally from the verge of death itself, Jonah is reoriented by the Lord, having had a, a great fish spit him out. And now once again, God comes to him with a commission to go back to Nineveh. Hear the word of the Lord from Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth. For the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Grass withers, flowers fade away, but God's word always remains. Will you bow your heads as we pray asking God's blessing on it? 
Father, once again, it is only in your light that we can see light. Give us ears to hear. Open our eyes spiritually to the truth of your word and help us to receive it with meekness that it may yield the fruit of righteousness in us. Lord, this we pray and ask this assistance in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, about now, if you're looking at the screen title, some of you are wondering, what's up with that? Uh, You may think it says Jonah's peripety. That's not what it says. Jonah's peripety. But you're still saying, but what's that mean, Joe? What are you talking about? Well, let me explain. A peripety is a sudden and highly unexpected change of fortune or circumstance. It's a reversal of fortunes. Something coming to pass that was highly unanticipated and unexpected. It comes from a Greek word, peripatia. Used by Aristotle long ago. As a matter of fact, Aristotle defines peripety or peripatia as the circumstance in which an action or state of affairs intended or expected to produce a certain result yields the very opposite one. 180 degrees turn from what was expected. Peripety in all cases, whether it's tragic or comedic, is always ironic didn't see it coming example classic example in the bible the story of esther you remember what old haman was up to and out to do destroy god's people and especially that rascal sorry mordecai who he had prepared a gallows to hang him on but who got hung on the gallows? Haman's gallows. Haman. That's a peripety. Today, we find Jonah having been amazingly rescued by God from the very jaws of death. And with a new perspective on God's call. Now, how well understood, time will tell. But at least Jonah, I think, did get this at this point. He kind of took a lesson from Luke Picard of Star Trek Next Generation. And when he said, when he was was locutious, had been assimilated by the Borg, resistance is futile. He kept saying that over and over. Well, that's what Jonah finally realized. Resistance against God and his plan and his direction for me is futile. I am wasting my time trying to run from God, trying to block him out, trying to put him out of sight, out of mind. Speaking of this, before I hit this, in one of my journeys from side to side, I'll drop it back a little. Jonah finally figures out he's got to fall in line. And go where God calls him. 
So, at last, he decides, all right, you want me to go to Nineveh? I'm going to go. But he didn't say how excited he was, or was he really excited? Here's what we're going to look at today in the outline. The response of Jonah, the response of Nineveh, and the response of God. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Jonah's response, Nineveh's response, and God's response, if we can say that. You'll get more about that later. Let's look in, dig in, look again at the first four verses. The response of Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Call out against its message, the message I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. He called out, and yet 40 days, and Nineveh, shall be overthrown. Jonah basically says, okay, all right, God, you want me to go preach to them? All right, I'll go preach to them. I'll go tell them that they are in serious, serious trouble. That part probably comforted Jonah, as we're going to see. When Jonah finally arrived at the great city of Nineveh, by the way, it would have been probably a 500-plus mile journey, would have likely taken, depending on his mode of transportation, anywhere from four to five weeks to get to Nineveh from where he was on the shores of the Mediterranean, spit out by the great fish. But when he got there, he didn't dilly-dally. He didn't sit around getting acclimated to the new climate or to the new circumstances. No, he went right to it. On the very first day, he started getting down to business. And that business was hellfire preaching. As they, we used to, sometimes you've heard it said, hellfire and damnation preaching. Jonah was at least excited about that prospect. He lets them have it. With both barrels, gives him all he's got. His best judgment day, coming sermon. It's interesting, the word overturned there in your text is, is a Hebrew word, nefakat. And it literally means, means turned completely upside down, turned to rubble. It has the same origins. It invokes the imagery of the destruction of the famous Sodom and Gomorrah. We're not talking about a few damaged things here, folks. We're talking about annihilation or well-nigh annihilation. And Jonah was giving it to him with all he had. Now, what's interesting here is Jonah's proclamation just goes right in with no indication of the origin of where this threat is coming from. He doesn't say like most of the other prophets do when they make an oracle or a judgment threat to a people or to a king or to someone. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel. And then boom. So you know who it is that's really making the threat. Jonah doesn't even do that. 
Secondly, there's no rationale given. In other words, Jonah doesn't say, because you guys did this, 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 and this, you're going to get steamrolled. No, he doesn't even say that. And furthermore, he gives them no hope of escape. He doesn't say, now look, guys, you really messed up, but if you will. No, he doesn't do that either. These omissions, my friends, make or should make you and me wonder about how thorough Jonah's obedience really is. See, it says he finally, people often regard this section as the obedience of Jonah. He finally gets back on track and becomes an obedient. There's part of him that's obedient. He goes and he preaches the hellfire sermon, but there's a lot of things in Jonah's heart that are far from what the Lord wants to see in him and in you and me. Now, it's very important here to note, speaking of preaching, that preaching always has two sides, or it should. It has two sides. A bad news side and a good news side. Most Christians find it easier to tell the good news side to their friends and relatives and neighbors and others and with each other. They find it easier to talk about that than they do about the bad news side, the judgment side. But not Jonah. Oh, no, not Jonah. He's ready to tell them the bad news with great delight, licking his chops. Mm, I can't wait to bring judgment down on these Wicked Ninevites. Jonah's all too ready to tell them the bad news. And he's hoping, I think, and possibly praying that he won't have to share the good news with them. With these nasty dog Ninevites. These people are not even, they're subhuman. They need to get what's coming to them. Justice needs to be meted out. And I'm the hammer to tell you that it's coming and it's already left the station. It's rolling down the tracks and it's going to roll right over you, Nineveh. Now remember, Jonah had recently been reminded of the extent of God's sovereignty, hadn't he? You can't run from him. You can't get away from him. You can't put him out of sight. He's everywhere. He's gone before you. He's behind you. He's learned that lesson in his little seafaring adventure. But in this portion of the story, going forward in the last two sections of the book, chapters 3 and 4, he comes to grip with the scope of God's mercy and love. He's got the sovereignty thing finally squared up. But he's got lessons to learn about the scope and extent and wideness and breadth of God's mercy that reaches even the greatest of his enemies. You know the hymn we sing? Wonderful grace of Jesus reaching the most defiled 
by its transforming power, making me God's own child, purchasing peace in heaven for all eternity, for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches who? Even me. You see, that's not the, that wonderment in that song was not in Jonah's heart at that point. It's often not in ours because we, we can find all kinds of ways to justify ourselves and see ourselves as superior and better than others. Jonah simply couldn't wrap his mind around a God like this and the ways of his God. Now, here's an amazing lesson. This is where, this is really encouraging. This is really good news for you and me. Here's a lesson of how God used a flawed, weak man like Jonah. God had used him before. God probably used him afterwards. But at this point, this had not been the high water mark of Jonah's career. And yet, though Jonah goes and he doesn't tell them who it came from, he doesn't give them an option, he doesn't tell them that maybe, you know, do this and maybe God will be, no. And yet, he goes preaching hellfire and brimstone and a revival breaks out. How amazing is that? Jonah didn't get it right. And yet God used him for his purposes anyway. I may have told you guys this before, but uh, when I was um, a lost 17-year-old church-going kid, went to church all my life, guys, young people. I knew all the stuff. I believed, yes, Jesus died, rose again. But I didn't have a clue why he came, what he did, why I needed to have him come and forgive me of my sins. I didn't even understand that. But there were these group of people in this outfit called Student Life. It was a Campus Crusade for Christ ministry. They kept trying to talk to me and drug me to this party and these folks were there and several of them kept trying to tell me about Jesus and about salvation. And I basically said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I believe all those things. And ultimately, the guy who actually led me, probably the most instrumental person that God used to lead me to the Lord, when I was talking to him, he totally got, I'd, get, I'd say, a, a C minus to a D on his grade of how well he evangelized me. He messed up. He took my word for it and started trying to talk about some extra step I could take in my relationship with the Lord. I was lost. He blew it. But do you think that stopped the hound of heaven from finding his prey? Do you think that God didn't find a way? All those messed up testimonies and all those messed up witnessing opportunities, God still found this poor sinner. And I cried out to him for mercy. And I knew that day I passed from death unto life. I knew that because of the death of another, I was born again and I would never die as Jesus promised. He blew it, but God used him anyway. Thank you, Bobby. <laughs> I've told Bobby this many times. You know, Cargo, you totally, he's a fellow PCA preacher. I said, you know, you totally blew your witnessing opportunities with me. But it didn't stop God. What an encouragement to us when we mess up trying to share our faith. So don't be so timid. Don't be, you know, go ahead. Even if you get it wrong, God can get it right. Now, secondly, look at the response of the Ninevites. Look. 
Look at this. This is, this is amazing. Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a feast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, lest let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them all call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Wow. (laughs) Stage has been set. The expected judgment that Jonah was hoping for was near. But the first aspect of Jonah's peripety shows up. They actually listened to him and started doing something about it. This is nothing short of absolutely mind-blowing, shocking turn of events. An entire city responds to Jonah's doomsday message with some degree of repentance and faith. Now, be careful. I didn't say whether it's saving faith or not. I'm not sure that we can tell that at all. Matter of fact, perhaps not. But it certainly was a turn away from their wicked ways and evil that they were trying to make. There was a commitment, a pretty earnest one. Furthermore, the, the politicians even. I mean, if, if, if you can see politicians began to change, now that really is a miracle. <laughs> Furthermore, the king of Nineveh and all his merry band of, of you know, um, well, I, I'm not sure what word to use. Um, but anyway, his, all those uh, around him, his surrounding crowd, uh, and aids and so forth. They join in a royal proclamation and publish it and proclaim it for the whole city to fast and do an act of humility, covering themselves in sackcloth and ashes. And the animals don't even escape. They're in the get in on it too. And then a directive to call upon Jonah's God. Now, there's no indication that we see here in the text anywhere that they turn and become covenant keepers of the God of Israel, but they called upon him because he's the one sending the threat. And the declaration of judgment was directed to the whole city, so the whole city got involved. And then finally, the king concludes with a rhetorical, who knows, question. Maybe God will relent and be merciful we turn from our ways like he said surely there's got to be something here that has some hope in it but we're going to go down trying we're going to try to turn from our ways the inhabitants of Nineveh recognized in the dreadful warning a possibility it may have been veiled thin it may have been very small but it was, they, they felt like it was there, and it had to be there if they had any hope. 
a possibility of repentance preventing their impending doom. Now, some of you know that one of my favorite books and movies is A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And most of you know that wonderful scene when he's with the ghost of Christmas future. Having been through what he's already been through and he's standing there over his own would-be grave. And the ghost is pointing him to that, basically saying, there's your destination, buddy, and it's coming sooner than you know. Judgment day is coming. And what does Dickens have Ebenezer Scrooge do? He says, and he cries out, men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which if persevered in, they must lead. But, but, Scrooge cries, if the courses be departed from, the end will change. Say that is what you show me. Tell me that's what you're telling me this for. There must be hope. And so the Ninevites, in a similar spirit, cried out. And you know, they didn't know this verse, no doubt. But listen to what God said elsewhere when threatening judgment. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 and 8. If at any time... I declare concerning a nation or kingdom, this is God talking to Jeremiah, that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent. Did you hear that? I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. The merciful God. Now, there's a flip side to that. He goes on and says, now, if the other way around, I say, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do all this stuff. And you turn to evil. (laughs) Then I'm, I'm yanking that rug out from under you. But you see, these pagan Ninevites had enough sense to turn and listen and call. And of course, we know it was only whatever happened spiritually, whether it was temporary or more permanent, it was clearly a work of God. Now, the real question, again, is is it temporary or was it not? I'm going to leave it this way. I'm going to let the Bible knowledge commentary give you what makes a lot of sense to me. Also, Jonah's message concerned repentance from evil to avoid judgment. Perhaps many believed Jonah's words without being genuinely converted. But they did believe him. They believed God, and they did. They believed the message. But does that mean they were converted? Does that mean they became uh, uh, covenant-keeping, you know, uh, circumcised, uh, children of Abraham? No, not at all. They could have believed the fact of God's threat of judgment without trusting in Yahweh as the only true God and their salvation. 
Apparently, the Ninevites responded from fear. <laughs> this, is a, this is a scare the you-know-what out of them kind of a message. They responded from fear. And though the people were outwardly contrite, fasting and wearing sackcloth, they may have been no enduring spiritual change. We probably get a good indicator in that a few years later when Sennacherib shows up uh, in 722 to take off the northern kingdom into captivity and destruction. They were acting pretty wickedly again. But for, for now, something had changed enough. Now here's the last thought. The response of God. The response of God. Look at verse 10. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. My friends, Jonah's Jonah's peripety, this unexpected turn becomes an outrageous reality. And he is not, not at all thrilled. He has no categories for such a display of mercy to such merciless people in their past. And yet the text says God relented. Now, let me just say this real quickly. Is this saying mean God changes his mind? Let me say it emphatically. No. 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 Never know. God can't change his mind because he can't find out something new. He's not playing a chess game and said, oh, ah, 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 didn't see that one coming. Now I've got to come up with a new plan. No, he's playing the end from the beginning. No, God accommodates himself. His language, as Calvin said, is baby language for us in our limitedness and our weakness. We understand the change of emotions. That's our stuff that we can grasp. God is not like that at all. God intended. He knew this would be the result. And everything, all the secondary causes were put in motion to bring it about. Now, as we shall soon see, Jonah is not rejoicing in the success of his mission, but recoiling in horror because judgment day didn't come to Nineveh. And if you don't believe that's there, wait till we get into chapter 4. Jonah is ticked. We're going to see that in a few weeks. But here's where I want to leave this today. For the time being, Nineveh got a reprieve. And as I said, we're going to see evidence going forward that that's not the way it would always be. Eventually, Judgment Day did arrive in Nineveh. That's another story. But my friends, ultimately, there is no way to escape the judgment of God. Did you know that? There is no one anywhere, anytime, any place on planet Earth that will ever escape the judgment of God. Now, they might experience it temporally, like an Adolf Hitler finally getting his comeuppance. 
they might experience it elsewhere or somehow other. But there is no escaping the judgment of God. Here's why. Listen to Acts 17, 30, 31. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, now that Christ has come, he commands all people everywhere, not just Ninevites, all people everywhere, repent. And here's why. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he's given proof of this to everyone by what? Raising him from the dead. Now that's next week's theme on Easter. But do you understand what I'm saying? I said no one escapes the judgment of God. The only question is when will you experience it and where? Will you experience in the last and great day when it's too late? Or will you experience it in Christ? Having received him as your savior because he experienced the judgment of God in your place. And you will either face the judgment of God alone. Or you will face it with your brother Jesus beside you. Saying, he's with me father. I've paid it all. Judgment day has already come and gone. It's over. It's been over for all these years. But you will, one way or another, I will, everyone will face judgment. Oh, let it be in Christ. My friend, let it be in Christ. Run to Jesus. And he has already faced the judgment for those who are willing to repent and believe in him. What is your hope in the great judgment day? He asked me to remind you. Amen. Father, I pray, Lord, everyone within the sound of my voice, if there are those who are still going to roll the dice in that great day, oh, Lord, please shake them out of it. Do whatever you have to do in their lives to open their blind eyes and ears to see the only hope, the only way that they can stand in that day is if they have already had a substitute who has stood in, that play, in their place and faced that judgment already in Jesus Christ. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for that judgment day has already come for us who believe. Thank you that we don't have to fear that day now. Oh, Lord, that you are a just God, but you are a merciful and gracious God. Thank you for delighting in that mercy and for calling us to be yours. And Father, hear us now. And help us prepare for, the, for next week and the joyous resurrection of your beloved son who's guaranteed these things by his resurrection from the dead. And we pray in his name. Amen.